Our text for this glorious Easter day from our gospel reading, Mark chapter 16. There was a little boy, five years old, and he was raised in a really strict religious, strict Christian, strict form of Christianity home. It was Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus the other thing. And he came to dinner one night and he hadn't washed his hands. And his mom knew he hadn't washed his hands and she said, you know better than that, this virus going on. There are germs, germs, germs all over your hands. You go and you use that warm soapy water and you wash those germs off your hand and then come back to the table. We're gonna pray. So the little boy, five years old, he walks off and he's grumbling to himself and he's saying, germs and Jesus germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear about in this house, and I've never seen either one. <laughs> now, that's not the first time I've told that little story on an Easter morning, but I tell it specifically on this Easter because I think it is rather more poignant than ever before, germs and Jesus. Our lives for the past year, over a year, have been turned upside down over something we can't even see. And at the same time, our faith and our trust, our hope, relies on something, on someone that we can't even see. And maybe for some, there's a little bit of a tension within that. Everyone has doubts. Whether you are a brand new Christian, not a Christian, you've been following Jesus all the days of your entire life, everyone to a certain degree and at various times and in various ways has doubts. Sometimes they're big doubts. Sometimes they're just little doubts or little questions we have. Sometimes they're very intellectual, but maybe for some it's more of a gut thing. Mark chapter 16 verses 1 to 8 was written specifically to speak to doubts. It was written by Mark. Mark is the disciple of Peter. We believe what we have here is the written account of Peter, the eyewitness of these events and a martyr for the faith of Jesus. We have Peter's proclamation, his preaching and teaching written down by Mark. And it was written originally to a group of Christians 2,000 years ago who had a lot of doubts who had a lot of questions. Christians who lived in the city of Rome who were being persecuted, the first great and terrible persecution of the church by the emperor Nero. And what they were enduring, think of the worst thing you can possibly think of and multiply that by a thousand. And they had doubts and they had questions. And maybe you have doubts. Maybe they're big, maybe they're little. But Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8 is rich. So let's let this text, let's let God speak to us to speak to our hearts, our lives, our doubts, our faith, wherever we are today. 
in these words. So first of all, maybe there are some, I know I have, certainly, especially when I was a younger man, maybe you have doubts or at least questions about whether or not Easter happened at all. Hey, really? This really happened? Jesus died, was placed in a tomb, and three days later, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was alive, and he had conquered death. Did that really happen? Well, as I say so often, probably every Easter since I've been here, I always like to say, if you believe in God, and you believe in a God who is the source of all of life, a God who created all of life, can't that God raise just one? One life? I mean, that's easy. If God's the source of life, he can raise just one. I mean, that's at least possible, logically. But if you have doubts or just questions, of, wow, really, did this happen? You're in really good company. Very good company. Look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, that is to anoint the body of Christ. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And I love the faithfulness of these women. Where are the men? The men are scared, the men are hiding. But the women, are faithful, and we see here their love of Jesus. You see their devotion to him. They, they, nothing could keep them from doing this. In fact, it said, look how intentional it is, that when the Sabbath was over, this is the day before Easter, they went out and bought the spices themselves and used their money and, and arranged for this, bought the spices. To do what with them? To go to the tomb of Christ and to anoint his decaying body. It was a type of burial rite and preparation. I love their faithfulness and their devotion to Jesus and their love for him. But do you see their doubt? Their doubting of the resurrection? For they were going to the tomb that day, not expecting to find it empty, not expecting resurrection in life, but they were going to the tomb expecting death, despite the fact that Jesus had told them over and over and over again, I don't know how many times, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to rise. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I am going to rise. But they didn't believe it. We see their doubts in the resurrection even while we see their love and faithfulness. Now, why is it? It's because, dear enlightened people living in the 21st century, it was just as difficult for someone in the first century, maybe for different reasons, but it was just as difficult for them to accept and believe in resurrection as it is for us, maybe for you today. For the Jewish people and the Greek people, it was just as difficult. I think sometimes we look back to the past, we say, oh, they were primitive and they were superstitious in the Bible times. It was easy for them to believe this type of thing, resurrection. It's hard for us to say, no, 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 no. We see it right here in these women going to the... They were not expecting to see an empty tomb and resurrection. No, they bought those spices to anoint his body. But... And here's the important thing. Eventually, they did believe. 
not just the women and not just the 12, but in just the first month or two of the church, there were thousands and thousands of people who became convinced of the truthfulness of the resurrection and of Jesus Christ, so much so that thousands of them were willing to go and to give their lives. They were martyred for what they believed to be true. They were willing to give their lives. And some of you might say, yes, but Pastor Abel, there have been cults and religions and people throughout the years who have died, who have been willing to give their life for their crazy religion or cult or whatever they believe in. Yes, that's the point. People are willing to die for what they believe. They're willing to die for what they believe in. They're not willing to die for something they make up or something they invent. And these earliest Christians, something happened to them that so transformed them, they became convinced that Jesus had died and that Jesus had conquered death and was alive and had risen. They were convinced of it. It wasn't like Peter and the disciples go, you know what, hey, here's a cool thing. Let's open up the tomb, overpower the guards, get rid of the body, and then let's make up a fake religion and say that Jesus is alive and let's all go die. That's illogical. Believe it or not, the most rational and logical approach is that what we see here in the scriptures is actually true, and oh, I can't help myself this morning. Did you see 1 Corinthians 15? Did you hear the words that Pastor Nate read, the words of Paul writing in 53 AD? That's just 20 years after the resurrection. I have socks in my sock drawer that are older than 20 years. Some of you guys are going, yep. It's not that long. It's not that long of a time. And did you see, within the lifetime of the people who were there during the time when Jesus supposedly or allegedly rose from the dead who could prove it or disprove it, and Paul has the audacity to say this, that Jesus alive appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time that Paul is writing. Why would he say such outrageous things? A lie that so easily could have been disproved. I submit to you, he's writing what happened. We could go on and on. I could go on and on. It's true. Easter is true. The empty tomb is true. The resurrection happened. And because it is true, there's so many reasons to believe it's true. Because the tomb was empty. As we say, that changes everything. That means you have real hope and a real certainty of your resurrection, of your eternal life. Because the tomb was empty, it means all the promises of Scripture are true. It means because the tomb was empty that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. The empty tomb means that nothing in the final analysis can ever harm you. Nothing can ever harm you. Now, secondly, that might raise another question or doubt. Pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've gone through. Jesus is never going to leave me or forsake me. You don't know the sufferings of my life. Nothing can ever harm me. <laughs> what about all the suffering in the world and all the terrible things? How do we answer that? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. The women have made it to the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. And it says this in verse 5 and 6, that entering the tomb, they saw a young man, interesting description, that's an angel, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. 
And the angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now this is when you learn that grammar is very important. Grammar can save your life. Grammar can change your life today. Grammar. Some of the English teachers are going, finally. (laughs) Finally. Because there is a word here in the Greek that answers the question of human suffering and the questions or doubts we might have of what we've endured in our life to show you of the love of God. It's right here where it says, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, was crucified. The Greek word is estauromen. Estauromenon. Estauromenon. You got to trill the R's. Estauromenon. Say that after me. Estauromenon. I said say it after me, not with me. (laughs) I'll say it first, then I'll point, and then you say it. Estauromenon. Estauromenon, it is a, a participle, passive voice, perfect tense. What does that mean? It means it is acting adverbally. It's acting like an adverb. In other words, it is describing something true of Christ. And the Greek, the nuance is something, estauromenon is something like this. You are seeking Jesus of Nazareth, the having been crucified one. You are seeking Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified and still, right now, currently, is in a condition, is in a state of having been crucified. In other words, he has the marks. He has the wounds to this very day. Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified. Same word. That Jesus, when he rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples and he showed them what? He showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the nail marks in his hands and the the wound of the sword and the nail marks in his feet. This is his perfected, glorified, resurrected body. Why does he continue to have the marks and the wounds? It says in our hymn, crown him with many crowns. We just sang, crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds, yet visible, still visible above in beauty glorified. The wounds of Jesus, when they hammered the nails in his hands and his feet and you see Mary crying out in her sorrow and her pain and the horror of that moment and the blood and the gore and how terrible that was. But now after the resurrection, his wounds are not ugly. They are not horrific. They're not sorrowful. They're joyful. It says they're beautiful. They've been glorified. What does that mean? I can't fully explain it or understand, but what it means is that when you, dear Christian, one day stand before Jesus and you see Jesus and he shows you his wounds, in that moment you 
all the wounds and the scars and the crosses of your life and your darkest of days, they aren't simply forgotten or wiped away. Even your worst day is transformed, is renewed, is glorified. That Jesus is weaving it all together into a tapestry. Each strand of sorrow has a place in his tapestry of grace. Estau Romanon. Jesus to this day is the crucified one for you. The secular world says you live, you're, you're born, you live, you die, and Therefore, suffering, what you've been through, the crosses of your life, the trial, it's meaningless. Ultimately, there's no purpose to it at all. You can accept that. Try to live that way. Eastern religions, their answer, their fundamental answer to the greatest problem of human suffering is it's an illusion. It's not real. The cross and the empty tomb of Jesus say, oh, your suffering is real, but it's redeemed. It's redeemed. And then finally, maybe you hear good news. There are other kinds of doubts for some of you. Because you live a life of guilt or you live a life of shame. How can God love me? How could I be forgiven? How could that be true of me? Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7, the angel's still speaking to the women, and he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I thought Peter was a disciple. Why is Peter being singled out here? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What has Peter done? Peter denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, three times. Denied him. Peter even, the text says, called down curses on himself. Peter said something like this, may I be damned to hell if I'm one of his followers. And the rooster crowed, and he went out, and Peter wept bitterly. And no doubt that Peter does not believe that he can be loved or forgiven, that he's one of the disciples. And so do you see the kindness of Jesus? See, the angel is a me- angelos, Greek, it simply means messenger. That's what angel means. It means a messenger. And so the angel is just speaking the words that Jesus told the angel to say to the women. You see the kindness of Jesus here? He really wants Peter to know. Go tell the disciples and go tell Peter especially Peter. I'm going ahead of you, and I'm going to see you. I want to see you, Peter. What is Peter thinking when he hears this? Can you imagine what Peter is thinking? He wants to see me? What I did was unforgivable. What I did can never be forgiven. I have to work my whole life in order to make my way back to him. I can't believe what I did. How could he want to see me? And Jesus would say to Peter, and he would say to you, what I did on the cross and the empty tomb is the proof that I make what is unforgivable forgivable. 
And dear Christian, you are forgiven. You are forgiven of it all. And you are the righteousness of Christ himself. And just as Jesus wanted to see his disciples, oh, he can't wait to see you. And then the gospel ends this way. This is the last verse of the whole gospel. Cliffhanger, strange. Listen. And they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. Any fears have seized you, controlled your thoughts this past year? What wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And this is how the earliest, earliest manuscripts in uh, many years later, a group of well-meaning Christians got together. That's a, there's got to be more than that. And they put another ending here. But this is where all scholars today, most all scholars today, this is where it ends. Why? Why end this way? To draw you in. It's like watching a movie and you're yelling at the person, don't go in there, don't do that. You ever have those experiences? I don't know what it was like when you read, when you hear this, read, here's what I think, I'm thinking in my head, you crazy, silly, foolish women, didn't you just see the empty tomb? Didn't you just hear the angel? Listen to the word, he is risen. You don't have to be afraid, oh. You don't have to be afraid. Listen to the word, to the promise. He is risen. Germs and Jesus. And we've never actually seen either one. But one day you will see your Savior, your Lord, your friend, Jesus. Not just today in the 21st century, throughout the history of humanity since the fall, this is the way we think. If I see it, then I'll believe it. But God here in the Gospel of Mark is saying, it's when you believe it, you will see. It's when you believe, and there's good reasons to believe, you will see Jesus face to face The empty tomb, his resurrection is the guarantee of your resurrection, of your everlasting life, which isn't just far off in the future. You have everlasting life today by God's grace and by God's grace alone. And I've said so many times, get used to this face because you're going to be seeing it for a long time. And we will be glorified, 
shining with the glory of God together, all of you at home, all of the isolation throughout this year, and we will be a family and together forevermore. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Amen.